This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, Keeping Carlson listeners. Elon here with a special bonus mini episode of Keeping Carlson for you. I did an interview with Jeff Good about auction draft strategies. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Before we get into that, I just want to quickly remind you that the deadline is fast approaching to sign up for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. The sign-up deadline is September 7th. And if you want to become a participant in the most competitive league you're ever going to be in, now's your chance. You can listen to the last couple of episodes to get more details. And also you can check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron to see how you could get into the cupful and also get all of the other patron perks. But okay, with that, I hope you enjoy my interview with Jeff and we'll be back at you with another regular episode next week. friend of the podcast and auction draft expert Jeff Good. Hey Jeff, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, it was a great talk last year when we discussed auction drafts and you giving all of your expertise. It was episode 74, Bidding Hello. I definitely recommend people going back into the archives to check it out. But here we are all over again. We need to talk to you about how to do auction drafts because like I said last time, Brian and I, that's not really our area of expertise. And you, I recall you said you have a lot of experience with auction drafts, not as much in hockey at that time, though now you've participated in a Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League auction draft. How did that end up going for you? Well, uh, the end result wasn't as good as I expected. I, I blame that mostly on Phil Kessel and Rick Nash. But uh. <laughs> Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, no matter how good your auction draft strategy is, you can't overcome just projections that are wrong. Yeah, but there were there were some things that went well and some things that didn't. Uh, and also, they I knew that my process was flawed, but it was it was kind of what I had to do for my first go at it. So I'll, I'll get into that in player evaluation later, though. Okay, perfect. Yeah, but anyways, but not to discount your credentials, you've participated in many auction drafts over many years in different sports, right? Yeah, mostly football and baseball. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I did a, I did a couple uh, auction last year, and my wife was also in an auction league and worked with her on that, and also was in the the mock auction we did last year. Okay, perfect. So yeah, we definitely want to pick your brain here. Maybe before we get into all the strategies, can you give a quick overview just of what is an auction draft compared to the standard snake draft, which obviously most people are familiar with? Uh, so yeah, the really the only thing they kind of have left in common is that like you take turns nominating players in an order, but you can get any player you want. You're instead of you know just this is the player that I and I pick them. You're like I bid this much money on them, and anyone can outbid you, and you can outbid them in turn. Uh, you can distribute your money in any way you want. The standard number is $260 per team, which I still don't know for sure where that came from. I 
think it's from the old days of baseball fantasy, but it's just, it's stuck. It's a good number. Right, yeah, and it's obviously nice to have it standardized so that when you're coming up with your player valuations, you could look at how the results of other drafts went and you could say, oh, Ovechkin went for $50 there, so that's around where maybe I should bid for him for my draft. Yeah. You can you can customize that and make it as much or as little as you want, but it's a number that just works. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. And then basically, like you're saying, people are going to take turns nominating player. They go up for bid, and then anybody could outbid that person for the player, assuming they have the money left in their budget and they could afford that player, which obviously is the big difference between that and a snake draft, where you're kind of stuck. I remember you said last year, you explained really well, you're kind of stuck depending on where you draft, you might get locked out of certain players. Like if you're drafting eighth, you're not going to get the top two players, and you're also maybe not going to get like the 15th or 16th player, but with an auction draft, any player you want is up for grabs for you if you're willing to spend the money. Yeah, so that's why we like them. Like, definitely the top tiers of the cupful are going to be auction drafts just because it's the most fair. No one can complain and say, oh, I got screwed. I had a bad draft position. It's all up to you. But the question is, how do you strategize for these things? They're so complicated. So I guess let's get into it. I guess the main thing on my mind is I prepare for my first actual cupful auction draft. How do you actually come up with the values of these players? Like with a snake draft, it's kind of easy. You know, you have a ranking, usually Yahoo and ESPN and Fantrax. They'll all release player rankings and then you could decide for yourself. And then we've talked about breaking players into tiers. But with the auction draft, it almost sounds like you need to have a certain amount of money that you're defining as what that player is worth. That must take forever. And also, like, how do you even decide what that amount is? So, yeah, there's there's a kind of approach to player valuations. Uh, one involves spreadsheets and a whole lot of math. Um, and the other one involves basically taking just sort of standard projections, which which are out there. Like ESPN has default values. Yahoo has de- usually has default values. I don't know much about other sites, but they usually have something that you can at least use as a baseline uh, and then kind of adjust based on your preferences the way you would adjust rankings based on preference. And you'd usually kind of base that on what their projections for those players are and how you feel that they're good or bad because they're doing some calculation based on those projections. And if you think their projections are really aggressive, you know, you might take a few bucks off. You know, if you think they're being like, you know, really down on someone, you might add a few bucks. Or if you just like a guy, you might add something. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then once you have a dollar value for each player, how does that actually help you in the draft itself? Like, I feel like, yeah, you know, what's the max you're going to bid on someone, but do you even stick with that? That is the thing that you want to do is you want your number that you put down to be like for your player valuation to be your bid limit, which is the maximum that you'll pay on a player. And generally you want to be pretty good about not going over that by like more than a buck or two. Like if yourself going over the number it generally means it should have been higher to begin with right yeah i also remember you last year you were saying how sort of like you have to be flexible based on how people are bidding on other players like if you see that people are bidding aggressively for that tier maybe you just have to follow suit or you're not going to get anyone of that caliber yeah that's definitely something that's sort of when you do have to break your values is when the prices particularly at the beginning of draft if they go way too if they go high you might have to just spend more because everyone is spending more I try to resist that, but it's it's hard because sometimes you just need to have a top tier player or two. Yeah, though I guess the big advantage of not of being able to have that willpower is that everyone else is going to run out of money and you're going to have your choice of all of, I guess, the middle tier and lower tier players that you want. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where if you get to that point, even if you're getting these like great bargains in the last half of the draft, it's going to be hard to spend all your money on your whole roster. Right, yeah. So it's... It's hard. I remember last year, there were so many different things you brought up that you need to keep in mind. Like, so, okay, let's say I've come up with my bid limit for each player. Now I'm going into the draft. 
should I also be kind of coming up with a limit for each position or for each tier of players? Or is there like more strategizing I could do beforehand so that I don't mess up in the actual draft? Yeah, I do think it's good to to think about how you're going to distribute your, your money. Uh, for hockey, I found just looking at goalies, defensemen, and forwards is kind of a good way to break it down. Just knowing that you're going to put, you know, say fifty or sixty dollars into goalies, you know, versus putting like eighty or forty or twenty. Like last year, I put like twenty, twenty-five dollars into goalies. And how'd that go? Who did you end up with? Oh, uh, Mike Smith and Jonathan Bernier, and oh no, I spent most of my fab on on goalies, but that was the plan. Yeah, and that's too bad. Actually, Mike Smith had not too bad of a start to the year, but then he got injured. He was injured actually going even. pretty well until he got hurt. Yeah, that that hurt me enough a lot. I had a hard time getting enough starts after that. Yeah, well, Jonathan Bernier definitely didn't help you. Yeah, I owned him and Reimer for a good chunk of the year, like together. So, eh, lots of saves. Yep, that's what it, that's what I was going for last year, but things are a little different this year. So we'll. I'll have to adjust that strategy for sure. Right. Okay. So you're saying that if you come up with sort of a general amount of how much you'll spend on each of these sort of gross positions, like goalie, defense, and forward, at least then I guess then as you're going through your draft, you can see whether or not you have the budget to go big on the next defenseman or if you sort of need to save it to go for forward because you've already allotted a lot of your defenseman budget. I find it would still be so hard to not go for a really good discount. Like what if someone like Mark Giordano is going for lower than you think he's worth, but you've already gotten, I don't know, John Klingberg. I feel like I'd still want to get Giordano for the value, but I guess that comes back to the willpower and also how willing you are to change your strategy halfway through. And also, yeah, changing it on on the fly is also, you just have to, if you have those ideas in place, you have to know that, well, because I'm buying like, you know, an extra defenseman, you know, for 15 bucks that I was going to spend on, I got to know, like, there's a whole class of like sort of $15 forwards that I'm now, you know, not going to get as many of. Mm -hmm. That's why I think the main lesson from last year was definitely take part in a couple of mock drafts to get a sense of like what players are going to go for what amounts just so that as you're going through you could get a sense of what is the consequence of spending your hundredth to hundredth and fortieth dollar like if you decide to make that decision how is that going to affect the rest of your draft yeah and actually like the actual values at the end aren't going to mean a whole lot because those change you know based on who's in the room and how much people are paying attention and how serious they're taking the the mock auction but just for seeing like how the bidding process works how money comes off the table you know like i said how the consequence of taking one player here sort of limits your ability to bid in a phase of the draft uh, and stuff like that so aside from this goalie blunder which seems like might have been a smart idea because i know last year and we've actually talked about this before not related to auction drafts, but about the way we had our goalie categories for the couple last year. There was wins, saves, and save percentage. And you actually did a lot of research after the year. I think we talked about it on the recent podcast. We were talking about planning a pool, and you found out that just having a goalie that played a lot was worth a lot more than having actual quality goalies. And I see that's why you decided to bid on these low goalies. It's too bad you ended up getting guys who barely played, like Smith, who got injured, and Bernier, who was the backup. But do you have any other lessons from your auction draft experience that you're going to take into next year? Yeah, I actually did end up with getting plenty of goalie starts. It just, it was a lot of work. Right, with from free agency. Yeah, I actually ended up with the second most goalie starts in my uh, in my league. But man, I was just using all my fab on them. 
and chasing them, chasing them around. Oh, so you definitely would have benefited from our rule change of having unlimited acquisitions this season. I bet you ran pretty low. I did. I was one of three owners in that league that used all all forty five. But anyway, that's a decent strategy, though. I think it's smart when you're going into an auction in general to come up with maybe you do have a position, depending on the rules of the league, that maybe you don't need to spend as much on. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to get stars in every category. Though I do remember you said last year that the two main strategies, you could either go for getting a star or two in each and then having a bunch of $1 players, the studs and duds approach, or you could try to have a more balanced lineup. Do you have any takes after a year has gone by of maybe what's better or if there is even a way to say one is better than the other? I don't I don't think I've got enough to say that one is better. Uh, I will say that when in the other league, the Ottawa division, uh, the Crazy Eights basically did what I wanted to do and had the best record and best winning percentage of like any league, any team across any of the divisions. Nice. They spent $19 on their goalies, bought out. Sovechkin and spent an absurd amount on him and you know spent uh, not almost as much on their second pick they they spent $128 on their first two buys and they just had an overwhelming offense and you know whatever enough early starts they did well enough in that stuff uh, and they just they dominated their league and did it exactly what I had been planning to do right so it was kind of indicated that someone did that right but, but I did mention that I there was a flaw in my process that I was conscious of which was the projections I was doing my calculations based on were just the standard ESPN projections, and I didn't touch them at all because mm-hmm. I was just re- I recognized that I didn't know enough about doing hockey projections to do any good with those. Right. Like if I tried to meddle with those, I probably would have just made them worse. And you know, when I was looking at them after the fact, I was like, man, that projection was pretty aggressive on you know on that guy, you know, like on Rick Nash or you know Kessel. Like a lot of the guys that I bought ended up like I was like, man, those. They were. They thought, oh, she was going to do really, really good. And hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. the one that worked out was was Goudreau, who they were pretty aggressive on, and I bought into fully. And <laughs> the best player on my team by far. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure that no matter how aggressive their projection was, they weren't projecting for him to have basically a point per game. He will definitely go for a lot higher this year than last year. Yeah, no, won't get him for 29 again. <laughs> so in terms of spending your money at auction, we the easy one to to sort of think about in terms of what makes auction different is that you can go. Just spend all your money on five or you know four or five or six big expensive guys, and then just spend dollars everywhere else. And that's sort of this duds and duds, stars and scrubs kind of approach. You can also do something where you can, of course, like spread your money out and buy like one elite guy and a couple guys a little lower, and then spread it out almost like you would build your team in a snake. Like you can do that, and that's just fine. Uh, and sometimes like that's the best way to kind of mitigate risk overall. You know, so you've got you know it's just a good spread of everything. The more balanced, even approach is you're like, well, I'm gonna get like just a whole bunch of like twenty dollar guys, mm-hmm. and just have no one on my roster be terrible but probably not have any of those elite guys. And then I think it really comes down to how good you are at free agency, because the draft is really a major component, but it's not everything. And if you're planning on being the type of owner that's going to be adding and dropping a lot of players throughout the year, and if you're listening, like you know what type of owner you are. Like Brian is the classic type who likes to hold on to his guys and not jump too quickly on free agents. But I know a lot of other people, maybe yourself included, because you used all 45 of your moves, that you want to be watching the free agents, grabbing whoever's hot. And so then maybe you could afford to 
you know, just get your studs and then have three or four, maybe even five $1 guys on your roster because you're expecting that you're going to find at least five or six good free agents that you're going to end up rostering over the year. So it's okay if your bottom of your draft wasn't that good. Yeah. And also, like, most teams are just going to have a handful of dollar guys at the end. Like, just that's how it's going to work. But it's a, it's a question of whether you're doing more than that. Like, are you going to have, like, $10, on your, $10, $1 guys on your roster? Like, that's that's going to take some work to keep up on, like, on the waiver wire. So yeah. like Brian would probably rather do like buying in like the 10 to $30 range and have all of his roster be good, but maybe not great. You know, get a bunch of those kind of like second tier, not quite elite, but very good guys. Yeah. Well, it'll be fun. We're going to see how Brian does. Cause he's going to be in the first yeah. tier auction, which we're planning on figuring out how to broadcast maybe for the patrons or maybe we'll figure out how to do it for everybody but that'll be a lot of fun to just watch how brian and the other top tier patrons do in this public auction draft yeah i'm I'm looking forward to that myself okay my next question for you is about let's say you've done your player valuations and what if you're evaluating some players who you really think they could have a wide range of possible prices in the actual draft. So I'm talking guys like rookies, you know, Austin Matthews or Patrick Lane, or maybe some guys who were really good in the playoffs, like Jonathan Druin or Radulov, who just signed from the KHL. You brought up a bunch of these guys to me before the show. So how can I try to get, like, let's say if I've decided I think Radulov's going to be like a 70-point guy. Is there anything I can do to get him for a cheap price, or is it just sort of like bid the lowest possible and just hope no one outbids me? Radulov, I think this year is is the guy you want to throw out first. Like if you have, if you have, if you're the first person nominating players, you want to get that player out there because either there's someone else who believes in him is going to, you know, spend a bunch of money on them or you're probably might be the only one. And everyone else is going to be like, eh, I don't really trust that guy. I don't know what he's going to do. And they end up not really spending. And so you might be able to, grab him oh interesting so yeah we talked about this a bit in the last episode again i'm t- i should remind everyone go listen to episode 74 to get the background for all of this but yeah you talked about how to decide who to put up for bid and it's kind of like you're, that's a lot of mind games in deciding who you want to put up at what time in the draft uh-huh. yeah because last year the the guy who i thought was the obvious nominate first was patrick kane because like there was a bunch of like who's is he gonna face pension or something or you know, you know, like, or people who just like, that guy's a jerk, I don't want to draft him, which all more power to having morals about stuff than taking a stand. But, but man, whoever was like, yeah, screw it, I'll, t- I'll take him for $36 or whatever. They wrote him, you know, straight to the bank last year. Yeah, definitely. But a, a risky player like that is not what people are looking to take early. Right. And then maybe if you give people a chance, like maybe there's these guys who don't know necessarily how they feel about Radulov, but if you wait until too late in the draft and they have some money, they might be like, eh, okay, I'll take a risk at this point. But maybe you could catch them off guard early on when they're like, oh, I don't want to spend on him now. I want to get Ovechkin. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's also some goalies that fit that mold. Like there's, you know, Flurry and Murray on Pittsburgh. Like we don't exactly know who's going to be the starter and how much value these guys are going to have. So I guess you could either wait and just sort of get them in some sort of goalie run. Are there runs, by the way, in auction draft? Do there tend to be like goalie runs where people just keep on nominating the goalies just like in a snake draft? Yes and no. They kind of, you can have a whole bunch of players of the same position nominated in a row, but it's not like a run because in a run, you, if you miss it, you miss out. Whereas in the auction, you, you buy the one that you want. You know, maybe you might see like, you know, the price trend is, is a little tricky and generally waiting to spend your money in an auction, you'll get better prices. That's generally true. But when you get towards the bottom of a tier, you might actually end up paying more than the first guy. Like if like last year, I felt like there were 
you know, five or six goalies that were worth, you know, like that 28 to $30 range. And, you know, like the first one went for like 32 and I was like, all right, you know, next one goes for like 31, you know, a couple go for 30, you know, one goes for 29. But then like if the last one will often go for like 35 because it's the last guy who's that good. And like everyone was like, oh, crap, I was waiting to get a guy in that tier and they all want him. Yeah, exactly. Like if it's the last starting goalie available, then Mm -hmm. anyone who doesn't have one yet is going to want to go for him. It's very interesting. Like, do you want to be the guy who's setting the prices you know, making the aggressive bids early on. Like, I'm, I'm very interested in, like, how my draft is going to start. Like, I want Alex Ovechkin. I, I don't think I'm spoiling my strategy by saying I'd love to have Alex Ovechkin. Do I just, like, bid like crazy and get him? Or should I wait until I see what other people bid and then only if they're reasonable? Like, I just don't know if I should be, like, the guy in poker who's going all in all the time or if I should be the one who's always checking and waiting for the really good hand. I mean, partly it depends on what your overall strategy is going to be. If you're fine going like expensive guys and dollar guys bid aggressively early like to get the guys that you want but if you want to build a more balanced roster you're probably looking to spend more prudently and probably want to wait for those most expensive players to get out of the way and you know then start getting in you know once you get down to like 30 dollars and i remember you mentioned some strategies last time like maybe you could try to make players go for higher like do you advise any of those more advanced things like maybe if you know you're not going to get ovechkin but you want to make the person who really wants him bid a little more yeah price uh, price enforcing which is what that's called we're like you know like you see a guy you're like you know Taylor Hall can't go for like $24. He's way better than that. You know, and you bit him up a little, or even if it was someone you didn't like as much or a position that you already had, like you could, you could do that a little, just knowing someone's going to go for him. But it's hard to do that with people you don't know. Yeah. Well, these are the patrons in the Facebook group. It's people you've seen post. So I know, for example, Michael, the Flyers fan, I'm pretty sure he's going to be bidding on Ghost Bear and Provorov and Giroux and Voracek. If I was in an auction draft with him, I would maybe just up the bid on those guys because I know he's going to beat it. But maybe not everyone is like that. And maybe also I'm underestimating Michael. Maybe he's different in his persona on the Facebook group than he is on the draft table. Okay, and then there was the other strategy you mentioned. There's like this one of maybe trying to up the price, which I think is pretty risky because if it's a price you're not willing to spend and you're making the bid, you might end up getting saddled with the guy. You also mentioned a strategy called price freezing. Did you do any of that in last year's draft? I didn't really get a chance to. And it actually, there was one auction where it almost worked someone th- like carry price at 50 or something and i didn't like any there was it took a while like it ran most of the way down before anyone else bid and he got bid up like a you know a couple times or something those auction auctions both went super aggressively so like i hope people are a little more disciplined with their <laughs> valuations this year but eh, you, you never know Right, yeah. So just to recap, this price freezing idea is throw out the guy at like the price you think is a fair price or maybe even a dollar above. And then hopefully people will be so caught off guard that no one will make a bid and all of a sudden it'll be three, two, one sold and you get the guy you wanted without having to be in a big bidding war. But also when you say that hopefully the auctions this year won't be as aggressive, if you know that people are being too aggressive, isn't that to your benefit? Like, is, I feel like from everything I've learned so far, it's like the hardest thing the auction draft is to account for the variability and how other people are going to act. If you know that they're going to be aggressive, like, what can you do to benefit from that? I guess just wait and get the good values at the end. Yeah, for me, like, when I, when I see an, a draft going aggressively, that's when I'll generally switch to a strategy that's more like, well, I'm going to pass on the $40, $50 guys, and I'm going to wait until prices 
get down to like around like the low 30s before I really start buying. And that was something I kind of tried to do last year, but still ended up paying you know, 40 or 50 for like Nash and Kessel and that sort of lower elite tier. But that's that's generally when you're like, well, I'm going to wait a little and then sort of pick my moment to start buying. Like once the prices get closer to what I put my valuations at, that, that's when I'll start buying. And again, like you say, it's tough if you really wanted to get a top tier player. But if people are paying too much, they're not going to be able to get the good players after. And you could still do pretty well if you have a team of all, you know, I'm just naming guys off the top of my head. Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, I don't know, Corey Perry. Like if you could let everyone else spend all their money on the first, second round guys, and then you fill your whole roster with third round guys, you're probably going to win at the end. You just have to be able to tell if that's happening. Yeah, or like you might have to, you know, you might have been planning to get like two lead guys. You might have to just settle to just take one of them. Be like, you know, I'm I'm not gonna, I, like I wanted to go in and buy Ben and Sagan and just like get all of those points that they get together. But, you know, if one of them goes for like 55, 60 bucks, you might have to be like, well, I'll be happy with one and get those and then, you know, save some money later. Maybe I'll grab Sharp later or something. Or Klingberg, obviously. You know? Yeah, or Spetsa, you know, like those guys on house. They're a good scoring team. <laughs> Maybe we just <laughs> yeah. named all the guys though. But yeah, you might you might have to just adjust and not get so ambitious about having just awesome, awesome guys. Yeah, well, definitely seems like I guess with the snake draft, also you can't expect that you're going to get the guys that you want. I guess more so with an auction, you can actually get the guys you want if you're willing to spend, but you do need to be flexible. And I guess that brings me to sort of my main sort of overall question at this point we've talked about how before the draft you could come up with player valuations you could sort of break your roster into how much you want to spend on each spot you could do some tiering to just know when certain tiers are over is there anything else you could sort of do before your draft or at this point have we basically covered all you can do aside from practice 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 which is probably the most important thing i i do kind of like to have like once i've broken down sort of those big chunks. I do like to look at, you know, what guys I want to target in certain price groups. Like if I'm planning to get some guys that are like in the $30 range, like I want to look at the guys in that tier and say like, well, which of those guys do I like the best? You know, I want to get one of these two or three guys, you know, this tier. And I want to get one of these, you know, four or five guys in this next year or two of them or something and have, um, you know, not be like locked in on one guy, but have groups yeah, that makes sense. And then can you do any strategizing in terms of who you put up for bid when it's your turn? Like, let's say there's a tier of like three guys that you would like. You're like, I would be willing to spend around the same amount for any of these three guys. Let's say like Crawford, Schneider, and Tuka Rask. And you're like, I just want one of those three goalies. Should you, when it's your turn, put the one you want up and hope to get him right away? Or maybe put the one you want the least and then see how much he goes for and only bid on him if it's a good value. And if not, then go for the next guy. Like, is there any strategy among who you're going to put up for bid once you know who's in the tier that you like? I generally tend to like to nominate players that I don't actually want to buy. Mm. If you have a strategy that's based on like, you know, I'm going to get this elite goalie and then sort of like the rest of my team is going to be built around the fact that I have that goalie, you probably do want to nominate and buy that guy early. Uh, Same with like if there's a particular skater. Like if you want to build your team around, a Vetskin's probably not a, a... good example but let's say like like tarasenko who's like you know big goal scoring wing you want to get that guy if the rest of your plan is sort of built around that you want to get that player nailed down but otherwise i much prefer to to nominate players like at a position uh so like if i've bought a couple wings early position wings like you know a couple left wings uh or something not red wings um (laughs) i hope i'm not buying red wings early 
Yeah, that was actually one of the teams that in our daily rankings we've been doing on the Patreon group, the Red Wings was one of the teams that took the longest for the first Red Wing to be drafted. And I think it was Mrazek. And then after him, it took a while for finally Zetterberg to go. And has anyone else even gone yet? I don't think Larkin has gone off the board. No, no, not like Larkin, but yeah, it's, it's tough. He's one of those guys, maybe like Matthews or Lane, where it's going to be really hard to project. He had like 44 points last year. Some people think he's going to be like a savior and get seven. There was a guy in our patron group who was just saying that he thinks he's going to get 70 points. And I think I made a bet with him on our bet board. But so you're saying if, let's say, that you've already bought a few right wings, let's say, now you're suggesting that you should put some right wings up for bids so that people could spend their money on players that you don't have interest in? Yep. Generally in an auction, you want to get other people to spend their money. Because the more money they spend on players that you don't want, the less they have to compete with you for the players you do want. Right. So I guess, to me, it sounds like you're saying maybe one strategy, which I guess once you give it away, then it won't work. But maybe a strategy would be to put the shiny objects out, you know, players that you think are going to be overvalued. Wouldn't you want to get them out and hopefully get people to spend on them early guys who you don't want for the hype that they're getting? I'm trying to think of a good example. Maybe someone like Druin, who, you know, after the playoffs he had, people are probably expecting him to have 60, 70 points. And maybe it's possible. I don't know if I would spend that much. So maybe you get a guy like him early and people are going to want to spend their money. Yeah. Or just people with like name value, like, you know, that, you know, people are going to feel safe spending, you know, getting a lot of a lot of owners and be like, you know, that's an accepted known good player. We're going to spend our money on him. The problem with like throwing out a risky player early is like I think there might just be no action and someone's just going to get him. But yeah, I definitely like, you know, throwing out the position that I've already sewn up. All right, so yeah, we've covered a lot here in this discussion about auction drafts. Hopefully there's a lot of salient points that people can take away from this discussion. Is there any last comment you want to make about auction drafts and their strategies? Yeah, there's one thing that I've been kind of looking at a little more this year, which is like player floor and ceiling, uh, as opposed to just this is the most likely outcome. You want to build your evaluations based on that most likely outcome. Uh, You know, like this guy, I think is going to be a 55-point player. That's how I want to buy him. But you kind of want to be aware of what their range is. Like I was looking at a guy like, like Max Domi, I think is going to be about 55 points and is about as safe to do just that as I think anyone. But I also don't see a lot of range on him. Like the team around him isn't great. So I don't, I don't think he's got much upside beyond like 60 points or low 60s, but also like his role and talent, I think give him a very solid 50 point floor. And that's very different from a player who you might evaluate at about the same value at, like, say, 55 points, but has a much greater range. You know, like some of the guys we mentioned, like some of these rookies or something, who the reasonable expectation might be 55 points in someone's mind. But, like, you know, man, if they hit the ground running, could be, like, you know, 65-plus point players, but could also be on the third line getting, like, 14 minutes and end up, like, 14 guys yeah it kind of sounds like Nikolai Ehlers last year he was so prolific when he was on the top line or in the top six but then basically did nothing for a good chunk of the year when he was playing on line three you would think this year he's going to be in the top six and I think 55 to 60 points is a good projection but I think he's the kind of guy you're talking about I could see him getting more than 60 points I could also see him getting like 50 or less yeah but it's one of those things where like even if you're like man I think Druan's going to score 70 points still probably want to only pay for 60 hmm because otherwise, you're not really making anything off that. You know, the fact that you're committed to this guy, you, you, there's no profit if you pay for 70 points and he scores 70. Okay, so taking this back to the auction strategy, you're saying that you should be bidding closer to their value of their floor and not necessarily their ceiling? Well, closer to that middle point, 
like that, you know, average projection, that median projection, that reasonable expectation. You know, if you if you ran 100 seasons, 70 of those seasons, they're going to be around this point range or something. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess that's kind of like with sleepers in general. A sleeper is only good as a sleeper if you get them late. Like in a snake draft, if you're like, oh, I think that Radulov is going to be a great sleeper, but then you take him in the third round, like you didn't value him as a sleeper. The good thing about sleepers is to know who should I target late in my draft or in an auction draft, I guess, for a low amount of money that I think has a lot of upside. So I definitely agree with you. Don't spend 70-point guy money on Druin when you could spend that money on a guy who's like, you know, more of a solid bet to get the 70 points. But yeah, but also be aware of like sort of where you have that risk and sort of when you want to buy. This is kind of a more general fantasy advice, mm-hmm. but being aware of where you have risk on your roster. Because I think I got a little narrowed it, a little focused in on just the numbers that I had. And like this player is worth this much and is going to get this many points. And I think I could have would have done well to be more aware of like, what's the spread of points they're going to get? Oh, that's interesting. And then can that also go with like position wise? Like maybe you could decide halfway through, oh, I have a lot of risk on my defense. So maybe I should my next defenseman should be a more solid guy. Yeah, yeah. Like I might need just kind of a safe 40 point 180 shot guy who's but who isn't likely to get, you know, do a lot better. Mm -hmm. That sounds like you're describing Jake Muzzin. Yeah, sometimes you need a Jake Muzzin. All right, yeah, so thanks so much for sharing all of your auction knowledge. If you're listening to this podcast and you're, like, yelling at your phone, saying, like, why didn't you ask this question, the main question I want to ask, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We could forward the question along, or you could tweet directly to Jeff at Low Guppy. I'm also pretty active in the Keeping Carlson patron group on Facebook. All good stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll definitely have to get you back on soon. Hopefully I'll be able to like move up and, and get to auction in a future, <laughs> in a future year. Yeah, I should mention in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, if you're listening to this and you don't know what that is, you could join. Become a patron and you could join the league. Check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information. I don't want to make this too much of a plug. But yeah, we've decided the top two tiers are auction drafts and then all the other tiers are snake drafts. So I guess you didn't make the cut this year, but you're going to climb your way up and get there soon. Maybe we'll also make more of the tiers auction drafts as the years go by, depending on how people tend to respond to them. I'm always afraid to have too many auction draft tiers just because I know a lot of people are really scared of them. Hopefully this interview has helped people like demystified it. But I think at the end of the day, you're going to be scared of them until you participate in a few and get the gist of what you're supposed to be doing because i remember i did a mock draft last year and i got totally destroyed i had no idea what i was doing i didn't get the top tier guys and i spent way too much on other guys so i basically had a duds and average guys strategy in the end there were no studs and too many duds yeah and if you're not scared and are excited to do an auction we are also putting together some unofficial patron keeper leagues that are going to be auction keeper which is fun because the price you pay for a guy is also the price you keep them at the next year. Ah, oh, very interesting. Yeah, I guess you could get really deep into that. I've also seen some formats where the fab value of players is affected by the auction. Do you know anything about that? Uh, well, yeah, that you can also like keep guys based on their fab value. That's more of a keeper thing than, than an auction thing. But yeah, when you're keeping players based on a dollar value, it's not just keep the best player, it's keep the best value. And I love that. Oh, yeah, very interesting. And then also when you're making trades, you're like, should I trade for Patrick Kane? He's at this value. So then when I do my draft next year, I won't be able to have as much in the auction. Yeah, interesting yep. stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. thanks so much, Jeff. And <laughs> and hit me up on Facebook, on in the Facebook group, if you wanted to get in on that. Oh, yeah, become a patron, message Jeff. Yep. <laughs> All right, bye.